Hello and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today we are joined by one of our most frequent guests, one of our most <laughs> beloved guests. Who is it? Oh, it's Danny Horn. Hello. Uh, Hello. From who you might know from Tough Pigs and Muppet Wiki and now Superheroes Every Day. I do know you from all three of those things. <laughs> yeah, I hope everyone else does too. All right. Well, what a and thrill. I'm thrilled to be here today. Wonderful. Danny is here to join us for minutes 23 and 24 of The Muppet Christmas Carol. In these minutes, Scrooge settles in for a quiet evening at home. Yes. So the and, first thing uh, here... Well, so, so just, you know, like you may recall at the beginning of the Great Muppet Caper season of the podcast, I had a lot to say on the subject of post-structuralist literary theory, which I discussed at length, and you thought I was entirely out of my mind. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, that well, we it felt like... I, my, no, we my memory is that we were both... My memory is that we were both delighted. Yes, And, yes. like, we're... <laughs> So happy well, to I'm, talk about what I'm saying is now the tables have turned. All of a sudden, metatextual analysis is actually happening with puppets live on the screen. Um, so I'm very excited about about discussing this with you. <laughs> Some of it is actually intentional in this movie, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm super excited about discussing like the conflicting cultural codes that come up when you're doing a 1992 film adaptation of an 1843 text and you're doing it in the wrong country with puppets. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, they shot this in England. Uh, they did film it in England, but I think it was made like primarily f- by Americans and for an American right. audience, like to the extent that it was made for anyone at all, rather than being a Brian Henson vanity project that he kind of dragged us all into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad you're here. It's be fun. So, no, I'm having a good time I'm, already. It's great. I'm so, me too, man. Uh, so the first Excellent. thing we hear is Gonzo has just sat up and he says to say that Scrooge was not startled would be untrue. Still, the moment had passed, and the world was as it should be. And so, as usual, Gonzo's dialogue here is a mix of two geniuses, Charles Dickens and Jerry Jewell. (laughs) And so, in in the book, the exact quote is, to say that he was not startled, or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy, would be untrue. That's all in the book. but. The moment had passed and the world was was as it should be. That's Jerry Jewell. He wrote that himself. So he condensed Dickens and then added, uh, again, another sentence that sounds like Dickens wrote it. But he didn't because Jerry Jewell's a genius. Yeah. And again, I got to say, I think Jerry Jewell's is better in this this example. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like that thing about how Scrooge has never been that startled or whatever. It's wordy because Dickens is always wordy. But I think it's a nice I think it's a nice line. Yeah, it's kind of like it's scattering like memorable phrases from Charles Dickens into the uh, so I actually I didn't realize that you were that you were keeping track of this stuff because I went and measured as well. And I looked at like all of the text from the clip and then like how much of it came from the book. And the way I calculated it was what, like 27. This is generous, like 27 out of the 78 words actually from Dickens. So it's like are in the book. Yeah, 30. 
34 and a half percent was what I got. You're saying, um, is this all the spoken lines in this clip or specifically words? All, of the, all of the ones that are, that are like Gonzo being the narrator Charles and, okay. and saying, and saying Dickens stuff. Mm. It's like about 30% Dickens stuff. Okay. Um, and so I actually think it's really interesting that like that in the interviews, Hanson and Jewel kind of talked about like, Oh, well, like even though the Muppets are, are in this movie, like this is actually the most faithful adaptation of Christmas Carol. Cause it has all of, Dickens's like you know it's all of his words and his narration is in it which is like 70 percent not true <laughs> right um, well but but I think the reason why that is a good line and mm-hmm. it sounds plausible yeah. is because all of it is in the spirit of the book oh yeah like, no yeah. it is it is you know? Dickensy for sure yeah um but yeah but it's there is I'm a sorry, central I quandary feel, I'm, I'm about to do like, I'm just I've been wondering like am I gonna uncork this and I am so <laughs> Here's my central quandary. Here it comes. Is this is the post-structuralist perspective? Is like, can a 20th century movie actually be faithful to a text that was written 149 years earlier? Um, and so, I just, can I just talk about America for a minute? Um, your, your question is just: Can it be faithful to the source material at like, all? Is there, is there such a thing? Does that have any actual meaning? Okay. Um, so example I just want to talk about for a second uh, is Scrooge. I'm going back to other clips. Um, but when Scrooge has that look, the little heat wave moment with the rats where he says, like, how would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly unemployed? Um, and Anthony, like, I'm, I know you haven't released these episodes. So I haven't heard you do this, but I know you, I'm sure you talked about like that. They say like losing your situation rather yeah. than unemployed. Um because Americans don't have the phrase losing your situation. Hmm. And so like they had to make this movie for Americans in the nineties. Um, and the social conditions have changed. So this is a whole post-structuralist thing is like looking at like, what's the cultural change between now and back when they made the movie. Cause the whole purpose of Dickens's work is to talk about how to treat the poor, which we do completely differently now. Um, like at the time, the, the big deal was, are they are the poor people like can they receive charity outside the workhouses or do they need to go to the workhouses in order to receive charity? Um, hmm. And so this story, like, so this story is all about like private charity. It doesn't say there should be like an institutional responsibility to take care of poor people. Like the core premise is that like, this is a thing that happens privately. And this whole movie is about shaming an individual rich person because he doesn't throw pennies to children once a year, rather than like, rather than like setting up the welfare state, which they did in like the 1900s, 1910s, where there's kind of like this understanding that there's a government responsibility to relieve poverty. Um, and so in America, that was true as well. So this whole question of like, what should Scrooge be doing is received by us. I would think completely differently. Like we're watching this and we're like, okay, but being, but little bean bunny shouldn't be out on the street begging for, right. begging for turkey legs. Well, and, and shivering in the, first in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. And so if that is it, and I, I, I feel that you would agree that like that question is kind of the point of the movie or the point, I'm sorry, the point of the book is like, Mm -hmm. shouldn't we be treating poor people differently? Um, Which we now do. So what is the point of this movie? Well, at this point is the book asking though, like the book is focused specifically on Christmas time. So I don't know. Well, Christmas time was actually like the time that that a lot of the charity happened, right? In England, they would they would actually like bring people into 
auditorium spaces, like rich people. This is the thing that I learned from the the Battle for Christmas book. Um, yeah, which I think we talked about before. Where like they used to, it was sort of like a circus. Like they would bring rich people would like sit in an auditorium and they would bring poor people in and be kind to them. Um, and that was like a Christmas show, like a talent show. Right. Or something. Well, and I, but pageant. I, but I think what yeah. you're talking about, I think what you're talking about is pretty recently in the United States, mm-hmm. there was a very successful network television show called Undercover Boss, the premise <laughs> of which. The premise of which was, yes. what if rich corporation owners decided to feign kindness and charity <laughs> to their employees for a little while? Yeah, Wouldn't yeah. that be heartwarming? It's it's funny. I actually had an undercover boss joke in my notes a couple of weeks ago when we had a scene with the rats, but I didn't get around to it. Right. It's like it's like Scrooge undercover as one of the rats. Right. Exactly. He's like wearing her ass. <laughs> um, no, but I that mean, so like, but like you, so you say this book is about shaming an individual rich person to be yes. more kindly. That's what that whole TV show was about. That is not, that is, that is not a premise that has gone away in the past 170. No, because rich people are still years. heartless. <laughs> right. And terrible. That's a generalization. Need to be. But it's, yeah. it's I'm, a, I'm, no, no, no. That's true. That's true. true generalization. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. I, I mean, go sit on Instagram for five seconds. And one third of what you'll see in people's stories is Jeff Bezos should be given, should, should be taxed. Elon Musk should be more generous. Like yeah. we sit around shaming individual rich people all the time. It just doesn't work. That's why this, <laughs> right. that is, it's very oh, true. that's why this yeah. fantasy still has power because, yeah. because right. what if Jeff Bezos this became book is gen- so old that people generous? Still what if Elon that. Musk became generous? Yeah. You know, because it's, this is basically a, it's a story about just human greed, which unfortunately we have not, worked out of the system yet right right so i think that's i mean i think that's the point it's it's something we all sit around thinking about all the time lex luther is one of our is one of you 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 know superman lex luther is one of our like most famous supervillains and he's he's ebenezer scrooge right does lex luther not like um, feign generosity by giving to charities i feel like i've read stories superman stories i suppose he probably does depending on who's writing him right well yeah yeah anyways huh it's so, also interesting now that I've never thought about this, but the the happy ending of this movie is Scrooge gives away his personal money to people yes. on the street. And we yeah. hear that he became great at celebrating Christmas, but we don't hear that Scrooge... That he paid his workers better. Yeah, yeah, give money to everybody well, we do, year I mean, round. We, or... we, we literally do hear that he paid his one worker better. That's he does, yes. That's the very yes, yes. point of the book's yeah. ending. Because, like, right, because then Tiny Tim... Uh, should we say that yet, or is that a spoiler that Tiny Tim? Lived? Yeah, it's a spoiler. <laughs> Tiny Tim did not die. What? How dare you? Um, but yeah. So, anyways, hmm. what yes. what else? What what else do you got in the old? Uh, what else do I have? No, you guys can keep going. Oh, okay. No, I'm, I'm talking I, about I'm jelly beans. I'm, yeah, no, you that's can good. Tell. I'm truly loving this. Yes, yes. I know. I got more. This is, why this is why we're excited to have you on the show. Yes, I am um, always so happy to be here. But uh, so look for jelly so beans? long that my uh, jelly beans uh, not quite. Because, well, but on the topic of literary uh, intrusions, Rizzo, after after Gonzo's lines that we just said, then Rizzo looks out at us and says, he ain't Hoyt, didn't even break his concentration. (laughs) But what's great about this to me is that Gonzo says, huh? And Rizzo says nothing. (laughs) Gonzo's huh is like so casual and tossed off, which is one of the many examples of how just like loose and funny Dave Goals is as Gonzo in this movie. Yeah. 
the whole the, the I, nonchalant way that he proceeds with this after Rizzo thinks that he's just been in a possibly fatal accident is very funny. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I mean, I think if he was just being, I think in a worse version of this movie, if yeah. Gonzo was being Charles Dickens and then also had like scripted Gonzo antics, I don't mm-hmm. think it would work as well as it does when it, it feels like Gonzo, the character is going off script. Right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't like, I feel like in, we're going to have Does, a lot of time to talk yeah. about Gonzo and Rizzo not working in Muppet Treasure Island, but in that, <laughs> but like in that movie, Gonzo is, is chili pepper Gonzo, right? He's, right, he's yeah. like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be in the NBA. Ha <laughs> ha. That's true. He's you know? thrill seeker. Whatever. Gonzo, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And in this one, he's just like a like bored character actor who like is messing around because he doesn't like the narration you know we get glimpses uh, like when they fly when they hitch a ride with the the ghost of christmas past and they're flying over the city like gonzo is loving that yes and that's yeah. gonzo that's right, not charles right. dickens but yeah there it, it, yeah. it is only a few glimpses like that yeah but something something that's lovely here is like this really fluid way that he that he kind of trans uh transforms back and forth between like i am now looking at the audience and doing the narration and then he can kind of like look off and look at Rizzo and then he can say like, come on Rizzo, hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. You're right. Like how he, how he kind of like transitions like super smoothly between yeah. those things. Yeah. It's, it's truly so such an impressive performance, but the next yeah, thing right. we see is two time Academy award winner, Michael Caine <laughs> uh, le- lighting a candle at his house. And that's the whole scene. <laughs> And this feels like, so 20 years ago or so, Danny, you and, and our friend Kynan Barker wrote one of the definitive Tough Pigs articles, in my <laughs> opinion. Yeah. My week with the Muppet Christmas Carol. And in that, you talk about Michael Caine action poses yes, uh, all the time. And like the color. I had actually forgotten. I had forgotten that I even wrote those articles until you just mentioned them, like before we started recording. I, I have read that article. Every single year <laughs> since I that time, at it now. That is so you got to you got to read it. It's great. It's a yeah, masterpiece. It's really good. They're extremely. But in that, in that, you talk about all the Michael Caine action poses for the coloring book. <sighs> oh and, yes, yeah, lighting yeah. a candle. And is, yeah, and this is one of them, right? Lighting yes. a candle. <laughs> so, because <laughs> these are these are the action sequences for this book. Is like he goes. Actually, this clip is gonna is gonna end with one of the great action sequences of right. the Muppet Christmas Carol when. <laughs> right? beats up his own clothes <laughs> right and and actually as long as we're talking about that article can i can i can i reminisce a little bit about about tough things history about about stuff that i wrote about stuff that you wrote yeah i love it yeah um, no that's great like 20 years ago this oh, is fantastic I, I joined the tough pigs forum as a team as an impressionable yeah. team and i like i ad- admired you so much and i still do obviously I, I still admire you and you know, look oh, like a great too. deal and all that. Thank you. Yeah. But at that time, I remember reading like, you know, your uh, profile on the Delphi forums said yeah. political views. I don't like Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. That's as political <laughs> as Muppet fans get, which isn't true and obviously wasn't true in your work even then. Yes. But it was a good but, but hating Dark Crystal and Labyrinth was true. Right. Of course. And and I remember like reading you talk bad about Labyrinth, a movie I loved. Yeah. And I remember again such Charlotte. an impressionable teen that I would be like, "Oh, if Danny doesn't like Labyrinth, maybe it's bad." <laughs> actually, maybe I, Danny's right about everything. I think a and lot then, of that has to do with how 
uh, how confidently and entertainingly you express your opinions. Yeah, uh, that's right. You read the stuff and you're like, oh wow, yeah, he's got to be right. Uh, yeah, maybe Dark stuff. Crystal, maybe Dark Crystal really isn't as good as right. Thelma and Louise, which is, I think, what I did. Yes, yes right, that's yeah, yeah, a classic. It's a good, which, it is, which it is not. Um, I'm sure it's not. I've never seen Thelma and Louise still, um, and I probably should. For those who what? haven't read these articles, <laughs> you like, haven't seen Thelma and Louise. Wait, will... I'm sorry. Wait, I just, I'm why, sorry. Why would I haven't seen it either. Why would I go out of my way to watch a Ridley Scott movie if I didn't have to? Really? Oh my goodness! You watched you watched silent movies from 1904. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, uh, wait, 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 wait. Get it? Did get an Oscar? Are you telling me that a movie from the director of Legend I'm, is so I'm essential say, that I should stop watching silent movies? Does this that, mean you haven't seen just, Blade Runner either? I've seen Blade Runner. I don't love it. Okay. Just All right. I'm just gonna I say, don't love Gladiator. You know, well, actually, so this, no, I don't like Gladiator. This, when was Thumb and Louise? It was like 1994. 92. Was it? Oh, uh, yeah. I'll I'll say this that Thelma and Louise for for the year that it came out was very like important and interesting yeah. and everyone talked about it as like you sure. know kind of like how we how we see women in movies and whether women can like be the stars of um of big movies. Uh I don't know what Thelma and Louise I don't know how that feels now. Like if coming to it for the first time now in 2022, like if it would feel important, like it would not feel, I'm sure the today, the way that it did, the way that it hit back then, which is the whole right, sure. literary theory thing. Right. But, like, I, but I'm sure that I'm sure that like the 1926 like, Harold Lloyd movie for heaven's sake also doesn't feel the same. And I love yeah, exactly. that. You know? Exactly. So no, but not, that's I'm not that, worried about that is the uh, no, but that's the that is the post structuralist literary thing of like of seeing like are we receiving this work in the same way that that we work before? Right. Um, right. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm really not sure. Dark Crystal is terrible, though. It's um, bad. It's it's very bad. thing. So, <laughs> okay. As, as as agree I, said, that. I mean, I've gone on record on this podcast. We did a bonus episode about not, the Dark Crystal. Not, like, about, yeah, we agree that it's not great. I love the TV show. I'll say. I will say, and I should say that I love Alien. As long as before we leave Ridley Scott, <laughs> I do <laughs> yes. love Alien. That's but, the one I should have um, named. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways. Well, um, no, I just want to say for no. those who might not be familiar with the article, I will link to it in the show notes. But Danny uh, compared. Thelma and Louise to the Dark Crystal to to prove that the Dark Crystal is a bad movie and that Thelma and Louise is much better than it. It's a better movie. And maybe I should try to watch Thelma and Louise before this episode comes out so I can (laughs) can include my thoughts. Yeah. We'll do a bonus episode. We'll do a bonus episode. Um, No, but getting back to what I was going to say, that article where you and Kynan watch Muppet Christmas Carol. Right. As I've discussed, this I, I adore this movie. I love everything about yeah. it. And I read that one, and that was my realization that, like, oh, sometimes Danny's just wrong. Like sometimes, <laughs> yeah, that was your trigger. I, yeah. you know what? That was probably that was probably an important moment in your uh, in your growing up. Well, I I think it was, and becoming I becoming your own what, independent thinker, and I'm proud of you. Right. Well, and I think it's like what allowed us to become friends and not need to just be like like a Danny fan. You know? Oh, right, yeah. So. Anyway, because you used to you used to idolize me. I I was not aware of that, but I, I wish I had been at the time. I would have felt better about myself. You told you told me that I should watch Doctor Who, and I've seen oh, and, I, and you did episode yeah. of Doctor Who. I was super right about that. Yeah, you were. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm proud of that. Best. But um, 
Uh, anyways, what else happens on this movie? <laughs> people, oh, yeah. right? like, I think people are now wondering, like, what did I just... All of a sudden, this <laughs> turned into a very personal episode between <laughs> me and Anthony and how much right. we like each other. Um, uh, well, Gonzo, wants to, Gonzo wants to go inside, and then Rizzo wants does. to dig in the dirt for jelly beans. So yeah. what about jelly beans? Oh, jelly beans. Oh, so... Uh, so Rizzo, like the thing that's interesting about Rizzo here is I think that he is standing in for the audience and for doing, he's asking all the questions and saying all the things that the audience is saying, like, no, you're not Charles Dickens. You are Gonzo. I know that. Um, how do you know what's happening when you're, when you're not in the room? Like he's kind right. of investigating uh, on our behalf. And I think that I love about the jelly beans is that like, as a stand in for the audience, like everyone in the audience is sitting there with like soda and popcorn and candy. Like that's mm-hmm. a thing that we do before we see a movie is you got to like go and and like get your gear. You got to like load up at the, at the concessions counter. And so Rizzo like basically might as well be in the theater, like just kind of looking down and like yeah. asking people in the front row, like, Hey, do you have any popcorn? Like he spends <laughs> the entire movie looking for food. Yes. He has and, already been eating bread earlier in this movie and apples and apples. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I think that is, so him looking for jelly beans here, I, I feel like is him uh, again, being the audience uh, substitute. Right. And speaking of Rizzo and food last episode of this podcast, I talked about how Brad Pitt does the same thing in oceans 11 and constantly eating. Yeah. And Brad Pitt, yeah. one of the stars of Thelma and Louise. So then, uh, yeah, but then we see, this is another example of, that Dave goes looseness after when Rizzo wants the jelly beans and Gonzo's like, you know, come on, he talks him into it. Then he yeah. tosses off this sheesh. <laughs> like, like I got to deal with this guy. <laughs> really well, and there's, yeah. And there's this interesting kind of question about like how in control Gonzo is in the movie that he is like, he's supposed to be, they not only does he say that he's the author and do a whole bunch of the narration, but, um, he actually in a minute is going to say that he's omniscient. Yeah. Right. Yes. But what we're about to see is, is that at least as far as the props are concerned, like that not being true because he's trying to get into the house. Scrooge slams right. the door. And, they, in his and they can't get in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, in. there's something that we'll get to much later in the season, but something that Brian Henson has said about when when Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning at the very end of the movie, mm-hmm. that's the point where like the story that Gonzo is telling catches up to the reality of Gonzo and Rizzo. And he actually specifically made a deliberate decision to indicate that because when Bean Bunny runs across like mm-hmm. to, to, to talk to Scrooge in the window, he kind of bumps into them. And it's the first yeah, time that, really that a character in the story present. has affected. Yeah. And, and and then he said, like, you can actually see Gonzo and Rizzo's footprints, I, I think, or something like that. So, yeah, but that's not, yeah. that's not, but it's also not true at all. Because <laughs> well, when they get to the, when they get to Scrooge's school, a cat chases Rizzo. That's and, true. And Gonzo talks to Sam the Eagle. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I guess so there's still he's, questions. So about that's something. What's that's actually something happening now? This, what's the story? Well, Is this? The present is this, yeah. I don't but know. that's no. What's true is that that's something Brian Henson decided later and thought it sounded good. He yeah, well, well, yeah he may have decided <laughs> on the day yeah. and then thought that it would yeah. be a cool thing to do, not really thinking about the fact that it was already negated by other things in the movie. Right. 
But I think there's sort of the, this interesting thing about how, you know, if Gonzo, if Gonzo is supposed to be in control, but he could still be surprised, it gives, it gives the movie, it's, I think that's the most Muppety thing about this movie, um, is this sense of like, it's not actually under control. Like the characters are not in control of what's going on. Even the one who, who is specifically saying that he's omniscient. Um, right. Yeah. And like, so it's like this really stylized film with this very specific look and they filmed it all in studio. So they could be like completely in control of all of the visuals and the, and the dimensions of things and, and how everything fits together. Yes. Um, so it's like much more than the previous three movies. Like this film should be much more controlled and kind of like under Gonzo's control. <laughs> um and so when he can't get in, that feels like the the Muppet Show thing of like that that things are still gonna fall apart even within this like bubble, this bubble of eighteen eighteen forty three London. Right. He's right, our guy right. to this this show that they're putting on, but he still can't can't have he, he's not completely the, in control the of, direction it. Yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's locked um, outside. Yeah. Right. But I think part of that too is that when at the beginning Charles Dickens or Gonzo says he knows this story like the back of his hand. And we, as we talked in this, at the start of this episode, some of this stuff is not in the book and certainly in the book, there's no Gonzo and Rizzo to lock out. Right. (laughs) Right. So it makes, so so it makes sense from that perspective that even if Gonzo does know the text, which he's, he's, Mm -hmm. He's 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 playing it pretty loose around the beat, right? Like, yeah, like you say, he knows he knows like thirty percent. He knows about thirty percent of the text. Right, right. But it's still not going to say like then. Then I, the narrator, was locked out of Scrooge's house. Um, right. Although although the narrator does speak in first person often in the book, mm. Um, mm. but that doesn't happen. But anyways, yeah. the next thing is that Scrooge Gonzo, when they can't get in, he goes back to what he does know and he starts mm-hmm. narrating again. Scrooge made his way up the staircase and then, you know, goes on for a while carrying out a button for the darkness and all that. Did we get to Scrooge slamming the door in Gonzo's face? Yeah. Well, we just said that. Yeah. We said it was the door was closed. You have some some thoughts. Yeah. Oh, just, just briefly. Cause I know we've talked about it before, but um, when he slams the door in Gonzo's face, uh, Gonzo's nose gets, Smushed, and I'm trying to like demonstrate it visually, even though this is an audio <laughs> podcast. But, yeah, uh, we have seen this before, like uh, when his nose got twisted in the elevator in Great Muppet Caper, and then pretty much this exact same thing in Muppet Family Christmas when the turkey bonked him on the nose. Mm. Um, so I, I started a thread on the Tough Pigs forum asking if anyone knew how this works, because I, I think we were pretty certain that there's some kind of armature in Gonzo's nose. So that if you twist it or turn it, it'll, it will hold that yeah. position. But then um, what I found out from our friend Tony is that there's this mechanism, some kind of mechanism that there's a video, actually. I'll put this in the show notes, too. There's a video of Dave Goals doing a Q&A with Gonzo at the Arizona yeah. Museum for Youth in Mesa, Arizona. I don't know exactly when this happened, but... Somebody you can audience, actually like scrunch up his nose. Yeah, somebody in the audience asks about this weird mechanism that's hanging out at the back of Gonzo's shirt, and he demonstrates that when he like when he squeezes this thing, Gonzo's nose just yeah. kind of curls inward. So it's really weird, but apparently how? he can just do it that easily anytime he wants. Wait, but how is it? How 
This brings up a whole new life. This a whole new life. No, no, no. It's it's my question is not how does it work because that I mean that sounds adorable. Totally makes sense. My question is how did we not know that? How is yeah, it 2022? I, I, I don't know. Gonzo has yeah. had this thing hanging behind his back the whole time. We're, well, maybe not every but Gonzo no puppet has, has it. That noticed? would be my guess. Maybe some Gonzo puppets have it, but not all. I feel like right. there are still there are still mysteries out there. We're still learning stuff all the time. Yeah, I'm constantly really amazed at like puppets that I thought a certain mechanism must have been radio controlled, but it's actually controlled by the puppeteer's fingers or yeah. or vice versa. There's, that's yeah, why. There's, that's there's why. That's why they're know. still. That's why they're still podcast. There, there is still new uh, territory for us. Yeah, and a new <laughs> wiki page is being created too. Yeah, for real. Right. Also, uh, on the topic yes. of Scrooge slamming the door in Gonzo's face, Scrooge slams the door in Gonzo's face, and it affects Gonzo's <laughs> nose. Yes, that's that's true. another example of the reality <laughs> of this story affecting Gonzo and Rizzo. Right, but let's say if if Gonzo had gone like ow really loud would scrooge have heard him i guess that's the yeah sure. yeah, yeah, yeah maybe right, not right. yeah because yeah i think that's the thing yeah, yeah. like rizzo can right. kind of like yeah. dance on right. that hot turkey being... but they are they are not yeah they're not aware that he's there they don't right. like that's someone's true. looking that's in the true. window or whatever yeah so this yeah, the story can true. affect gonzo and rizzo but they can't affect the story i guess except when they like. except when they tell sam the eagle that it's ah, not right, america right it's great mm, all right there's no rules yeah yeah, but then I guess what we're coming up to is like is the big moment where like Gonzo is um, is in control of the camera angles because <laughs> right. like he gets bonked, he does the thing, and then and then we see Scrooge going up the stairs and darkness. What is it? Darkness. Right. Uh, darkness is cheap. Scrooge likes it, yes. and so he's looking around, uh, and then. And oh, and this and this part is um, absolutely not Dickens' text. Well, it's, uh, it's the, I mean, it's a para, it's a paraphrase. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. So, so what Gonzo says is, uh, Scrooge made his way up the staircase, caring not a button for the darkness. Darkness was cheap, and Scrooge liked it. The incident not a button. made Scrooge wary. Uh, it, well, in the 1843 yes, text, yes, it's, it's not a button bottom, is there, but yeah. Caring, caring oh, not a button for the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and darkness is but, cheap, and Scrooge liked it. Was is in the text right, as well, right? But then, but then the Wait, next I, thing. Sorry, is, did you just say that not a button is not in the text? So it is, but sometimes not. Oh, okay. In the in the oh. original manuscript, which I just think is funny, it was caring not a bottom for that. Oh, not a bottom. Oh. A bottom, and then that's, he changed it to button in the, in the published version. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that's so I was looking at. I was looking at button. Yeah, huh. yeah. Um, but. Anyways, what Dickens says after that is, but be, so what? Uh, well, let me go back. What Gonzo says yeah. after that is, the incident at the door made Scrooge wary. Before he shut himself up for the night, he searched his rooms. So that's Jerry Jewel. But yes. what Dickens says right after that is, but before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Nobody, and then there's more. I mean, it's Dickens; he's wordy, but yeah, nobody under the that. bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. <laughs> so, like, it's it's all kind of there. It's just not the same words. It's not like Jerry Jewel spinning the stuff whole cloth, right? He's adapting. Uh, the light, lighting the lamps, though, is not is not. That's so not the, the thing yeah, of right. yeah, and and uh, and actually, like, they're actually Dickens does make a whole point about. Um, 
he makes this huge point about about the fire and the candles because it's hugely like important to Dickens for everyone to know exactly like how many pennies he's spending on his own like comfort um because he talks about the the fire the fire is really low and he has to like get really close to it in order to feel it because he won't even like keep himself warm with his money Mm. um right yeah but we'll see uh yes but uh but what gonzo arranges for for this is he arranges the camera angle so it's really low and now we're looking up at gonzo and rizzo and then behind them is the upstairs window um, and he says to conduct a proper search, Scrooge was forced to light the lamps. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is not, and so that's not book, Dickens. That was, right. yeah. And in, in the book, Scrooge presumably never turns on more than that one candle. Like you say. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but okay. they had to, but he has to light the lamps so that then Gonzo says that and the light goes and, on. Right. Right. It makes a nice visual from outside and the house is how, is how yes, I put it in my notes. Yeah. 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 And so that's this moment where he's showing like that he really is omniscient and Rizzo, it's a whole thing of like Rizzo saying like, how does he do that? Right. That's the punchline to, yeah. Rizzo saying, how do you know what Scrooge is doing? Because he's up there, we're down here. And Gonzo saying that storytellers are omniscient. Right. Which is going to come back in the next movie. uh, How how does she bloody do that? Oh yeah. 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 So then you're right. All that happens. Another thing you talked about is we've talked about how great this movie looks. And, compared to the first three and that shot of Scrooge walking up the stairs, Michael Caine's face lit only by a candle. I think that looks so great. It's so great. It's so spooky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And speaking of speaking of the Scrooge walking up the staircase, can I also talk about one of the weirdest asides Dickens makes in this entire book? Please. He goes out of his way to describe how wide Scrooge's staircase is. (laughs) Yes, it does. And this is how he does it. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six, meaning a coach drawn by six horses, driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a bad young act of parliament. But I mean to say, (laughs) but I mean to say you might've got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar towards the wall and the door towards the balustrades and done it easy. There was plenty of width for that and room to spare, which is perhaps the reason why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him in the gloom. So he does all that just to be like, Scrooge is freaked out, right? Like that's really yeah. all that means. He saw Jacob Marley's face on the doorknob. Now he's like seeing a hearse up the stairs, but he takes a whole paragraph to describe like, here's how wide it is. Here's exactly how you could get a hearse up these stairs. If you needed to. That's kind of I cool wonder- Has there ever been an adaptation where Scrooge hallucinates a hearse driving <laughs> up the stairs? Cause that I would like to I- see that. We're just Dickens. Like we're just Dickens in the staircase while he's coming up, like measuring. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh man, I'm gonna blow. I'm gonna blow this wide open. Right, right. I feel like it's I'm in the uh, Zemeckis movie, though. Maybe. Oh, the Hearst. Okay. I, I think it might be. I've only seen that once. Yeah, I, I really it has a lot of that kind of. Yeah. It does make um, me wonder if, like, in 1843, if there was just a lot of staircase envy. Like oh. if that was a, if that was a big because I mean it's making a big big deal yeah. about his balustrades. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that was. I mean, this is you know this is a way to to express. Yeah, he's he uh, he's very stingy with the candles and with the fire, but staircases. He's got the, the staircase widest staircase in town. Dude is, dude is flush flush with you staircase they- <laughs> capacity. You know what they say about a man with a wide staircase? A wide staircase. He can, yeah. He can drive he a hearse up it. Yeah. Um, 
Well, remember, but, this so was then, this used to be Jacob and Robert Marley's house, so there might be something to that as well. Oh, Maybe he always coveted like, their white staircase. And now it belongs to him. That's right. Um, so then the last, after Rizzo says, how does he do that? The last yeah. 46 seconds of this clip are all, <laughs> it's, just, it's just Michael Caine by himself. He eating, walks around. Up the laundry. Right. He, so he, he looks around for a while and then he attacks a monster. But like you just said, Danny, it's not a monster. It's his best dressing gown. He savagely beats his best dressing <laughs> he gown. Beats the crap out of that thing. This is, I feel like this is, this is the textbook definition of a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he gets real mad. Now this actually also, this is something that is actually faithful to the book. Cause well, I, I, I saw mean, this. It says, I mean, uh, we're both, you and I, I love that we're like dueling. Like, yeah, you're both yeah, just, this is, you can't this wait. It's really yeah. fun. I know we're really, we're really into it. With nobody, nobody has interpretations bed. of how faithful I know, it is or isn't to the book. Yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Right. So Dick Dickens was suspicious. He did say that the dressing gown looks suspicious. Right. Um, right. I don't no, know. No, that's that's like, what's so great, though, is that yeah. uh, the dressing gown is suspicious in the book, but the savage yeah. beatdown is all Jerry Jewell. Like that's, that's what's true. so great about it. Like he yeah. takes inspiration. You know. That's what, like, and that's to me. That's one of the things that makes this such a good adaptation of the book is that, like, mm-hmm. Jerry Jewell is clearly having so much fun playing around with the book. You know, like he's he's not just dryly adapting it, like like some people have in the past. You know, mm-hmm. he's like he's like he's into it. <laughs> yeah, we that's are a good example. Yeah. All right. I mean, I think I there know. is there is sort of this. I think there there is a, a question. Uh, which I think is part of like what Rizzo is asking, which is why are we making this movie <laughs> specifically? <laughs> like, I think that's the, I honestly think that's the central question of the movie. Uh, because the Muppets make movies, right? That's nothing new, but why are we making this movie instead of like, I don't know, a Muppet movie that has Muppets in it <laughs> where like, like this, it requires them to like tone down the Muppets and they have to like appeal to the authority. And they're saying like, no, 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 this is like, this is really, um, this is very faithful to Charles Dickens text. Like they go all into that, even if it is only like 30%. Um, my interpretation of this entire movie is that since May 17th, 1990, the only thing that anybody has said about the Muppets or the family is what a creative genius Jim Henson was and how he touched the world and what he achieved. And then the very next thing they do is they turn to Brian and they say, so how are you going to carry on this great work? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah. that's the context of the movie. Everybody looks at Brian. Everyone's like, oh my God, Jim Henson was so amazing. And then we all turn and look at Brian. This is his first major project. He's been named chairman and CEO of the company at the age of, was it 27, I think? Yep. 27. They have screwed up the Disney deal. Right. Right. They they messed that up completely. All of Henson's actual plans have fallen through. All the stuff that he wanted to be doing, like in 1991 and 1992, they're not doing the theme park stuff, which he was super into. Pig of the 90s is not happening. The environmental show is not (laughs) happening. You love Pig of the 90s. 
I love Pick of the '90s, but didn't did not happen because Henson died, and now here's Brian. This was um, the, so he's not the, doing the sort of PR campaign where they would they were going to plant items in newspapers and go on talk shows and stuff to announce that Kermit and Piggy were not an item, and Piggy was going to like. And there was going to be this whole thing of, of yeah, right before Muppets at Walt Disney World aired, like the uh, a week before that, there was an item in People magazine that said that Kermit and Piggy had split up, which right. is actually an idea that they used in 2015 when they were about, they were starting up the the new sitcom. Like they did exactly that. Of Like they did a thing out in the world where they, yeah. where they told everybody Kermit and Piggy and up. It definitely got a huge reaction. It did. And so that was, they were actually planning to do that. That was an idea from, from 1990. Um, but then, like almost immediately after that, Henson died, um, and so that we couldn't they couldn't do fun stuff like that. Um, so none of the stuff that Henson had planned is is actually happening. Um, so this movie is Brian Henson like saying, "Okay, this is what I'm doing with the Muppets," and it's kind of he's making a movie that's actually kind of fighting the Muppets, which so, I think is amazing. Have- so I don't think I've talked about A Night at the Opera yet this season, have I? <laughs> Amazingly, no, I don't think you have. I don't yeah, think because, because, but all of what you're saying, Danny, is this, it's like the same thing Irving Thalbert did with the March Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, the, he toned them down. He wanted to make a more, like, conventional MGM romantic comedy. Fun for the whole family. That was A Night at the Opera. Nothing, yeah. Nothing yeah. Too and, weird. Right. And, it, and, yeah, and they are, it's, it's, like, what is, it's and what is, what is remarkable to me in both of mm-hmm. these cases is that it worked really well exactly once, in my opinion. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think you do yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol, and it's like mm-hmm. that, like, like all of the things you're saying that, like, mm-hmm. this is a movie that, like, it isn't fun, tones down the Muppets. In theory, that's all true. And obviously, I love a Christmas Carol, like, as you can tell. But, mm-hmm. like, it's to me, it's like the perfect blend of those two things. And a night at the opera is like the funniest possible version of. What if Marx Brothers in a realistic setting? Mm-hmm. And then Muppet Treasure Island and A Day at the Races and are both just like, are like, hey, that worked once. And then they don't really yeah. try. And they're, they're yeah. not that good. You Let's know? try. Let's try doing this again. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that like some of the magic that is in this movie is that friction, which I think is like it's, it's perfectly kind of summed up with with Rizzo and Gonzo, like outside outside the window. Where, what is it? Rizzo says, he says something in this and Gonzo just looks at him. Oh, Rizzo says, oh yeah, hoity-toity. Mr. Godlike Pants. Gonzo does an amazing take of just like, just looks at him and pauses and then turns to the camera and just keeps going with his narration. Yeah, sure, like, yeah. yeah he just doesn't yeah. react. He's not going to be deterred. That feels to me like, again, Rizzo, like, being our representative up on the screen is basically saying to Gonzo, Gonzo, you are a Muppet. Why are we making this movie right now? And Gonzo just pauses <laughs> and then looks at the audience and just keeps on going. <laughs> he just ignores it. <laughs> Despite the fact that this makes no sense, that this is not the project that we should be doing right now. This is not the way to make everybody feel like Jim Henson's, uh, you know, legacy is in safe hands. He's just going to go ahead. And I, I agree with you. It works very well, but that well, is does. the moment that's happening right and now. And it, it took a few right. well, years, but this is definitely now one of the most 
beloved, most one of the most widely beloved Muppet movies. It is. It is right. now. I want to. I want to talk about yeah. this next time I'm on. But yeah, no, we're going to talk about like the train wreck of Christmas Carol's non-success in 1992. Right. Hmm. Well, yeah, and, it didn't and, actually go that well. And we should say that. Danny, you will not be with us next week. You'll be back to talk about that later on in the season. I'm gonna come back. So I'm gonna come back does. at the at the most opportune moment for that. <laughs> you have specifically requested another minute later. Um, right, but we are uh, we are actually at the end. I mean, as I said, the the last thing in this clip is that <laughs> it's just beating up says, that dressing gown. Yeah, Scrooge says, "Oh no, it's oh it's my best dressing gown," and that's that's the very end of this clip. So, do either of you have anything else uh, before we close, Danny? I feel like you may have said it, but anything else? I just, I just, I want to, I want to take a moment just to think about that dressing gown. It was not doing anything to anybody. <laughs> Even Scrooge said, like, it's my, it's his best one, too. Best dressing gown, his, yeah. His best dressing gown. That should have been what haunted yeah. him later on. <laughs> That's who he has to That's beg forgiveness. Off. That's the stop. He has to go to Bob Cratchit, Nephew Fred. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, he has to oh, take yeah, his dressing gown to the dry cleaner. Think about the feast. Just imagine. Because he like he didn't really do that much to Bob Cratchit except for not pay him very well and yell at him. He didn't actually physically beat the frog. Just think about <laughs> just think about the turkey he needs to go and bring to that dressing gowns family. Yeah, <laughs> that's my yeah. that's my that's my last thought on this. You're you're not wrong, Ryan. Anything else? Um, yeah, just one thing is is that Rizzo doesn't really use hoity toity correctly. Hoity toity is. Uh, is an adjective. It's not really an exclamation, which is how he uses it. Uh, mm-hmm. According to Merriam-Webster, it means thoughtlessly <laughs> silly or frivolous, or marked by an air of assumed importance, which is how it's usually yes. used as kind of like a slangy synonym for like pretentious. Mm-hmm. So, but Rizzo just says hoity-toity, Mister Godlike, smarty pants. Right. Which so you is, think what he meant is like la di da. La di da. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But he could, you know, he could have said something like, like "Well, look at this hoity-toity smarty pants here," or something like that. There's there there's ways that he could have used it correctly, but you know, he's you should, he's you a rat. Write Rizzo a letter. Maybe I will. Rizzo, you know what? It's it's one of those things where Rizzo just looks back at that. That comes to him at odd moments through the years. You know, it's just like every once in a while, it's just like. Hoi, why did I say, say hoity yeah. toity? No, I hope so. Why did yeah. I say that? I well, I bet he's yeah. never used it incorrectly again after this. So <laughs> he got so many letters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. All right. Well, thank you. And so that is it for today. We are done, uh, listeners. For, for over the next seven days, before while you wait for our next episode, you can check out toughpigs.com on the internet. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can become a patron of ours on Patreon, and we would appreciate it very much if you did. You can email us with any additional notes you might have about Dickens adaptation at moving right along at toughpigs.com. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe and on letterboxd at movies are neat. You can follow me on letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. Danny remind us again where our listeners can find you and or your work on the line. Uh, you can find uh, my new project is called superheroes every day. It is a comedy blog about the history of superhero movies. Uh, it is starting so sick. It rules. <laughs> and it is. It is extremely sick. Um, it's a comedy blog, but it's uh, also extremely detailed and exhaustively it's a, researched. Yes, this is exhaustively researched comedy blog. Uh, it's getting more more. It's getting more weird. Uh, it's uh, so it started started with Superman. Uh, it's going kind of chronologically through the history of superhero movies, starting with Superman in 1978, and then Superman two, and right now. 
uh, at the time that we are recording. I am uh, pretty much uh, about two thirds of the way through Swamp Thing. Um, and the blog has started to get weird, like I always dreamed that it would. Um, and so, and by the time this is out, possibly I will, uh, I'll be into Superman three at that point. So please, uh, come and check it out at superheroeseveryday.com and also on Twitter and Facebook at similar handles. Yeah, man. And I, I mean, I've said this last two times, I think you were on, but I recommend mm-hmm. it highly. I'm a little Great. behind cause it's, cause it's summer, but I'll catch up this fall. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Thank you once again to Morgan Davey for designing our logo. And listeners, please give us that positive review you've been meaning to give us for the last four and a half years. And tell all your friends to listen to Moving Right Along. We'll be back next week with another episode. Goodbye. Bye. My best dressing gown.